You are now listening to The Last Day's Return of the Historic Faith with your host, Pastor Jeremy Anderson and Brother Matthew Marcel. This podcast is for the kingdom Christian in the end times. As aliens in a foreign land and ambassadors of our king, we proudly fly the flag with the cross as we sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome to another edition of Return of the Historic Faith with Pastor Jeremy Anderson and Brother Matthew Marcel. I will be your host again today as we continue to read through Origins of Evil, Book 1, Kabbalah, and we will be picking right back up where we left off on yesterday's episode. Yesterday we read chapter 3, and today we will be reading chapter 4, and chapter 4 is when We really start getting into the good stuff in the book. We start learning about Kabbalah. What is Kabbalah? Where does Kabbalah come from? What are the gods of Kabbalah? What are the practices of Kabbalah? What are the books in Kabbalah? Well, we are going to learn about all of that today as we read chapter 4, Kabbalah through the ages of the Pharisees and the sages. So without any further ado, we are going to get right into the book. Origins of Evil, Book 1, Kabbalah, by Pastor Jeremy Anderson. Chapter 4, Kabbalah Through the Ages from the Pharisees and the Sages. Kabbalah is Jewish mysticism and the most widely practiced form of mysticism. It has been made increasingly popular in America by practitioners among the Hollywood elite. The spread of Kabbalah around the world has sparked controversy among the practitioners in Orthodox Judaism who warned that this Jewish mystical practice holds hidden dangers that should never be taken lightly. Throughout its history, followers have coded its writings to protect Kabbalah's secrets. Followers believe that decoding Kabbalah's ancient text will reveal the answer to life's greatest mysteries. In Babylon in the 6th century BC, the prophet Ezekiel has a vision from God of the throne room of heaven with God seated upon his throne. This vision captivates a group of Jewish mystics in the 2nd century BC. These were the Merkabah mystics. These mystics hoped that through studying Ezekiel's vision and mystically meditating upon it, that they would be able to recreate the vision for themselves and become one with what they called the divine spark, 
While seeking a mystical experience, they tried to reimagine what Ezekiel experienced, and this becomes the model for Jewish mystical ascent practiced by the Pharisees until the emergence of Kabbalah. In the 2nd century AD, Israel is still under Roman rule, and Jews who openly practice Judaism are either killed or forced into exile. It is during this time that many decide to follow the Pharisees and turn to mysticism. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai fled Israel from the Romans who sought to kill him because of anti-Roman statements that he had made. According to Jewish text, Rabbi Yochai hides in a cave for 13 years. It was in this cave outside of Israel that Shimon Bar Yochai, along with demonic inspiration, created the practice of meditating on the Torah to invoke mystical visions, among other key Kabbalistic doctrines and practices. This made him one of the first key figures in Kabbalah's history. Like Bar Yochai, other groups of Orthodox Jews turned to mysticism trying to conceive a greater understanding of God. They said that since God wasn't going to them, then they were going to go where God was. What this group of deceived mystics did not realize was that God had already come to them in the form of Jesus Christ, and they had rejected and crucified him. They used different meditation techniques to work themselves into a hypnotic trance to try and invoke an, an experience with the divine. These techniques were coded and then hidden. No one under the age of 40 was allowed to practice these mystical techniques. The mystics warned that novices could be driven mad or even die because they were unprepared for the powerful spiritual forces that they would encounter. These were, of course, fallen angels and demons. During their demonic visions, the mystics would wear amulets to shield them from the power of the angels that they would have to get past in order to enter what they foolishly believed was the throne room of God. At roughly the same time in history, unknown mystics recording a, recorded a startling concept into the first influential book in the Kabbalah called the Sefer Yetzirah, or the Book of Creation. It describes how one of the gods of Kabbalah made the world using the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The rabbis say that it's the same account of creation as the Genesis account, but with more detail. This, of course, is false. 
according to the book of John, it was Jesus Christ that created all things as the spoken word of Elohim. The Sefer Yetzirah says that it wasn't words at all, but the combining of actual, physical, individual letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This assumes that God spoke a language of a people who didn't even exist yet. Adam and Eve weren't Hebrew, and you cannot just assume that God taught them how to speak in the Hebrew language. In the 11th century, the Crusades forced the Jewish people again out of Israel and into Europe, where they would bring their customs with them. By the 13th century, Jewish mystical teachings had spread across what are now Germany, France, and Spain. The term Kabbalah now becomes widely used to describe the mystical practice of Jewish mysticism. The Sefer Yetzirah, the Midrash, the Zohar, Third Enoch, and some of the other non-biblical writings delve deep into the occult teachings of Kabbalah. The leading rabbis in the Sanhedrin in Israel say that you cannot separate the Kabbalah from the Babylonian Talmud. The inevitable course of this approach will inherently lead to another gospel and another Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, the Apostle Paul warns the church of another Jesus and another gospel. In Galatians 1.8, Paul wrote, But though we, or an angel of heaven, preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. As ministers of the gospel, neither Paul nor any of the apostles ever wavered from the sure foundation of Moses and the prophets having their complete fulfillment in Jesus Christ the Messiah. There was no trading off or compromise with doctrines of demons such as those of the Kabbalah. When Kabbalah speaks of the coming Mashiach, or Messiah, it's never speaking about Jesus Christ. Nor is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, spoken of in the Babylonian Talmud. In the introduction to the book, The Kosher Pig, the author begins by building a Kabbalistic frame of reference on how the kingdom of God will be manifested on earth. Kabbalists believe that there is a divine spark or nitsots of God within every person and within all of creation. This is, of course, New Age pantheism. The Kabbalah teaches that at the fall in the Garden of Eden, the divine sparks were scattered and that the Messiah will only come when the sparks 
specifically the scattered Jews, are gathered back to the land of Israel. Itzek Shapira explains, The two conditions needed to bring the kingdom of God to earth and to bring Jewish souls, or sparks, back to God. In Jewish thought, the Messiah will only appear when the truth, or the lights, present themselves in the proper context. The restoration and salvation of all Israel and the entire world is dependent upon the restoration of the divine sparks back to Hashem, the truth by itself about the nature of the Messiah will not bring him and his kingdom to us. His kingdom will be established when all of the Jewish sparks will be gathered again. The traditions of Jewish mysticism are the same traditions for which Jesus condemned the religious Pharisees of his time. This is clearly seen in the above writing from Itzak Shapira's The Kosher Pig. Before the rabbis, it was the Jewish elite, the religious leaders known as the Pharisees, who shaped Judaism and continued the practice of mysticism, forming the rituals and reimagining God in some very startling ways. One of the most significant events in Kabbalah's history takes place around the year 1280 AD when a Spanish rabbi claims to discover another mysterious text, the Zohar. This will soon become the most important book in the Kabbalah. Zohar means radiance or splendor in Hebrew. The ideas in the Zohar are very startling, to say the least. Written mainly in Aramaic, its pages are filled with arcane symbolism and erotic language. By arousal below, there is similarly arousal above. Male and female unite. Desire prevails, worlds are blessed, and above and below are in joy. End quote. To this day, the author of the Zohar remains a mystery. Many Kabbalists believe that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai received divine inspiration to write the Zohar while living in his cave during the second century. Others suspect that the manuscript was written over a thousand years later, possibly by a Spanish rabbi or group of rabbis. The Zohar promises to those who can decipher the riddles in its pages a greater understanding and relationship with God. Kabbalah believes that if 
it can decipher the secrets in the Zohar, then they will unlock the mysteries of both heaven and earth. One of these secrets is about the body and sexuality of God. By the 13th century, Kabbalah had spread throughout Europe and the Middle East. Yet even as the number of Jews studying Kabbalah grew, their secrets remained closely guarded. Ever since, scholars have been searching for ways to unravel these secrets. On the surface, the Zohar is a novel that follows Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and a group of rabbis through what is now Israel. Kabbalists believe that the narrative contains keys to unlocking the mysteries of the Torah. The Zohar contains a blasphemous belief that humans can direct God. The Zohar asks the radical question when it says, Who kicked whom out of the Garden of Eden? The Zohar actually teaches that it was Adam who expelled God from the Garden. It says that we are still in the Garden, but we don't realize it because we have expelled God and lost touch with the spiritual dimension. The further one delves into the Zohar, the more cryptic the words become. It was written in arcane symbolism to keep its secrets with the elite only. The writers probably thought that only those who were spiritual enough, like the Pharisees, could unravel the mysteries and symbolism in the pages of the Zohar. The major symbolic code of the Zohar are the ten aspects of Ein Sof, known as the ten Sephirot. Ein Sof is the main god of the Kabbalah. However, there are ten other gods including Lucifer and Elohim which are also worshipped in the Kabbalah. The Kabbalists believe if they can figure out the mysteries of Ein Sof's anatomy then they can figure out how his powers work. Kabbalists believe that Ein Sof's body is very similar to humans, according to the Sephiroth's tree and the ten Sephiroth of the tree. Each of the ten Sephiroth on the tree represent a god and an aspect of Ein Sof. The ninth part of the Sephiroth of Ein Sof stretches from the Babylonian mystery religion and the worship of Nimrod all the way to the Canaanite religion and Baal worship. This is the phallus or the phallic symbol that goes forth from Yesod. This is the same phallus that is 
worshipped in Freemasonry and is symbolized all over America and in the Vatican. The most well-known phallic symbol in America is the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. On the very bottom of the Sephiroth tree, Malkut, the divine feminine aspect of Ein Sof, and the Shekinah is the settling and dwelling of Malkut. Another name that the Shekinah is known as that has made its way into Christianity and also comes from Gnosticism is the female Holy Spirit. This comes directly from the Kabbalah and is found absolutely nowhere in Scripture. The Zohar brought the the Hermorphodite God of the mysteries into Orthodox Judaism. And the book itself describes how this God, Ein Sof, has sex with itself in order to create. I believe that the Hermaphrodite God, Ein Sof, is none other than Satan himself. The fact that you can worship Lucifer as one of the aspects of Ein Sof in Judaism further backs up my belief. This doctrine from the Zohar of the divine male and female mating further promotes the belief that man can direct God. However, by this point in the book, there's no need to even pretend that the God of Rabbinic Judaism is the same God of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Followers of Jewish Kabbalah believe that it is through human actions that the two parts come together in sexual union. They believe that the male and female parts of Ein Sof are united through the acts and deeds of human virtue and works. Allow me to say right now that prayer and intercession is the only thing that the one true God and creator of everything is influenced by. The God of Judaism is unbalanced according to the Zohar. Through sin and misdeeds, Ein Sof is made unbalanced. Through the sin and misdeeds of man, Ein Sof has become unbalanced. And the Zohar also says that the characters in the Bible aren't actually people. Instead, it says that they are simply representations of the dis- different aspects of Ein Sof's personality. For instance, it says that every reference to Abraham in the Bible is a reference to Ein Sof's loving kindness. I don't think that the Orthodox Jews who follow the Kabbalah realize that this alone should be enough for them to reject the Zohar from Judaism. 
Because if Abraham wasn't a real person, then they have no claim on the land of Israel. This is something I like to use when witnessing to people in the Jewish community. The Zohar also examines biblical events for hidden meanings. The flood, according to the Zohar, is happening right now. It says if you don't know that the flood is still going on, then you're drowning and you don't even know it. So, various symbols of chaos and destruction in the Bible are viewed not in their correct past tense, but as still unfolding every day. While the mystics were still exploring the Zohar for its mysteries in the 13th century, another Spanish Kabbalist was developing a new method for uniting with their God. Abraham ben Samuel al-Buafia was the founder of the school of prophetic Kabbalah. He was born in Zaragoza, Spain in 1240 and is assumed to have died sometime after 1291. al technique involved intense meditation and yoga-like movements. His followers would use certain hand and head movements to concentrate on the Hebrew letters of the Bible. He created the 72-letter secret name doctrine that is still used today by followers of Aleister Crowley and others who use Hermetic Kabbalah and ritual magic. The 72-letter secret name doctrine says that if the 72 letters in the Hebrew secret name of God are aligned in the correct order and then meditated upon hard enough, then man's mind and God's mind will unite. It is very dangerous to invoke any fallen angel, and I would never want to unite my mind with his mind. Some Kabbalists believe that Moses meditated on this 72-letter name to part the Red Sea, further showing the folly of this secret name doctrine. In 1492, at the height of the Spanish Inquisition, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella declared that all Jews must either convert to Catholicism or be expelled. During 1492, over 1,000 Jews fled Spain, furthering the spread of Kabbalah around the world. There were many more that converted to Catholicism, creating literally thousands of secret Kabbalists inside the Roman Catholic Church. It would be these same secret Kabbalists who would formed the Order of the Jesuits on August the 15th, 1534, in Paris, France. I could literally write another book on the Jesuits themselves 
and the way that they have used the Catholic Church and many, many other things to infiltrate the body of Christ. I will be touching on this subject later on in the book. The Spanish Inquisition also sent tens of thousands of Jews fleeing back to the land of Israel. One group of these Kabbalistic Jewish men thought they could use the magic of Kabbalah to bring forth the Messiah. This group was centered in Galilee, and they were led by Rabbi Isaac Luria Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi, commonly known in Jewish religious circles as Ha'ari, Ha'ari HaKodesh, the Holy Ari, or the Ari of Blessed Memory, was a leading rabbi and Jewish mystic in the community of Safed in the Galilee region of Ottoman Syria, which is now Israel. He is considered the father of contemporary Kabbalah. His teachings are referred to as Lurianic Kabbalah. While his direct literary contribution to the Kabbalistic school of Safed was extremely small, he wrote only a few poems, his spiritual fame led to their veneration and the acceptance of his authority. The works of his disciples compiled his oral teachings into writing. Every custom of the Ari was carefully studied and many were accepted, even against previous practice. Luria spent many years in Egypt studying the Zohar and the text of the Egyptian mystery religions, such as the Egyptian Book of the Dead. He was said to have acquired great powers from his many visits by angels who were, of course, of the fallen variety. One of these powers was the ability to tell what a person was thinking by just looking at their forehead. He was also supposed to have healed people and many other great signs and wonders. Rabbi Luria taught reincarnation and believed that by studying a person's past lives, he could then fix that person's problems in their current life. He taught a theory of reincarnation that says that every individual is descended from a certain soul root after Adam and Eve. This belief in reincarnation is still held in modern times and is a part of orthodox doctrine in Rabbinic Judaism. It states that you are descended from either the soul root of Cain or the soul root of Abel, or from the root of the three sons of Noah, being Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The soul root you are descended from will determine your essential nature according to Jewish doctrine. Another modern belief in Rabbinic Judaism that came from Rabbi Luria is that the world only exists because Ein Sof needed someone to relate to. 
the 16th century was marked by the spread of the Jewish mystical practice of Kabbalah. It began when Jewish mystical writings like the Sefer Yetzirah and Zohar were translated into Latin. Catholic philosophers were eager to study Kabbalah and believed that it could help solve the mysteries of their own faith. They falsely believed that Kabbalah was an uncontaminated form of Judaism from the time of Christ that entailed the truths in Christianity. This belief was the foundation of what is falsely called Christian Kabbalah. These Renaissance thinkers also used Kabbalah to understand the writings of Pythagoras and Plato, whose philosophies mirrored aspects of mystic Judaism. The philosopher that invented calculus was a Kabbalist, as well as Sir Isaac Newton. people who created modern science and philosophy practiced the Kabbalah. Hasidism is an influential, mystical Jewish movement founded in Poland in the 18th century in reaction to the rigid academicism of rabbinical Judaism. The movement declined sharply in the 19th century, but fundamentalist communities developed from it, and Hasidism is still a force in Jewish life, particularly in Israel and in New York. Hasidic Jews took the practice of Kabbalah and made it available to ordinary people. Hasidism also emphasized the spreading of the more hidden Kabbalistic practices and ideas. It was the Hasidic Jews who preserved Kabbalah's traditions throughout the 1800s. Today, Kabbalah has taken on an entirely new appearance in the city of fallen angels, being practiced by the Hollywood elite. Some Jewish scholars believe that this trend is exactly what early practitioners feared the most. That the dangerous spiritual practices they warned about were not to be taken lightly, would fall into the hands of the spiritually unprepared. I believe that the Bible has the best advice the early Jewish mystical practitioners should have heeded, and that is that no one should practice sorcery. And that is the end of chapter four. Tomorrow we will start again with chapter five, and I believe that uh, chapter 5 will be one that you all will enjoy. Uh, chapter 5 is called The Golem, the Kabbalistic sorcery that gives life to the image of the beast. And it's all about the way that the 
false prophet, the second beast of Revelation, will most likely use Kabbalistic sorcery along with some sort of technology to give life to the image of the beast during the tribulation. And this is something that we should really pay attention to because the tribulation is literally at the door. I mean, we are literally, you could, it's, I'm not going to try to put a time on it, but we are so close to the tribulation that the Antichrist could reveal himself at any time. I mean, if the conflict that's going on and appears to be fixing to kick off between NATO and Russia and China, if that happens, then, you know, I can just see something like that causing the Antichrist to rise up to fix the problems of the world to start a world uh, government to stop all the war because I mean you think about it China Russia and the nations of NATO which the US is the leader of that is all that's the world's largest superpowers, nuclear superpowers. So, if that war happened, it would probably turn nuclear unless uh, someone like the Antichrist rose up to stop it. And, you know, that's something that we believers know will happen eventually. And there's absolutely nothing to fear from it if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Because to live as Christ and to die is gain. If we live in Christ, then if we die, we have gained. I mean, killing a Christian is the beginning for them, not the end. It's the beginning of eternity. And, you know, I hope that anyone who is struggling with fear from all of the nonsense going on in the world will take hope Allow the peace that passes all understanding from the Holy Spirit to come and, you know, guard their heart and their mind. Get in prayer and get in the Word of God. Surround yourself with strong believers who will build your faith. Get out of that TV. Don't sit there and watch the doom porn that is playing on the mainstream media 24 hours a day. I don't watch it, but I know it's there. I know people that watch it, and I used to watch it years ago. 
and I know that uh, here with all of the COVID-19 nonsense that they're using to (laughs) cripple the people with fear that it's only gotten worse as far as the fear-mongering that they play constantly. But anyways, I want to thank you all for listening, and as promised, it is Friday, and I will keep my promise, and I will not only tell you the third new book that is coming out from Kingdom Productions and Next Chapter Radio Network, but I'm going to tell you how you can get your free copy of, uh, which book did I say I was going to tell you how to get a free copy of today? Um, I think that can't remember if I said I was going to tell you guys how to get a copy of the new hardbound edition of book one first. I can tell you this, that by the end of this book, you will know how to get a free copy of each of the three books. The new hardbound copy of uh, the second edition, Origins of Evil, book one, Kabbalah. And the book that I told everyone about yesterday for the first time, which is called From Death to Life, a true life story of redemption. And that is the true life story of Mary Callie. And it's the autobiography of Mary Callie. Um, So... Think that it would probably be best if I told everyone how to get um, a copy of the book that's actually out now first, because I don't want to tell you, I mean, th- there's actually no way for anybody to get a copy of either of the other two books yet, because they won't be out until March the 27th, but they will be coming out the same day um, from Death to Life will be coming out on March 27th and along with it the other book that will be coming out on March the 27th is Origins of Evil book 2 by yours truly and Origins of Evil book 2 is on the uh, practices and effects of the occult. It's literally, um, it's pretty much an, uh, complete guide to the occult. It's like an ABCs of the occult, if you will. Um, it's a lot longer than book one, and, um, you know, there, there is some stuff on the Kabbalah in it, because you can't really write a book about all of the different occult practices and um, their effects without the Kabbalah because the Kabbalah is literally used in almost every form of the occult and Satanism that there is. 
and you'll see that when we uh, get to chapter 6 in the book. Chapter 6 in the book deals with the use of Kabbalah in all its different forms of the occult and the different secret societies. So, you know, you will, you'll hear about the different um, aspects of the occult that the Kabbalah is used in when we get to chapter 6, which will be not tomorrow, but the next day. And I say not tomorrow, not the next episode, but the next one. Tomorrow is Saturday, so um, it will actually be Monday before another episode comes out. Um, but on the next episode, you will uh, we will be talking about the golem and the and the golem, of course, is something that comes from the Kabbalah. It is a creature. That is brought to life um, in the text of the Kabbalah, and you know there you'll hear all about it um, in the next episode. So um, I'm sure that you all will. Those of you who've already read the book know what I'm talking about. Those of you who don't, you will hear about it um, on Monday in the next episode. But after that, on Tuesday you'll learn about all of the different areas of the occult in which Kabbalah is used, and that is literally what uh, the book two is about. Book two goes in detail of all those different occult practices. Each chapter in book two is dedicated to an occult practice, and it goes through all of the different, um, well, I say practices, each of the occult movements. And in those movements, in the, in the chapter on those movements, the chapter literally goes through all of the different um, practices in that movement and the effects that come from those practices. So... Uh, it's it's a very detailed book, and it's a lot longer than uh, book one. Even the uh, the new edition of book one is not um, as long as book two is, and you know that that can either be seen as a good thing or a bad thing, depending on whether you like uh, long books or you don't. But I have ran my mouth enough after finishing the chapter so I am going to stop talking and I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys how you can get your free copy of the hardback second edition of Origins of Evil Book 1 Kabbalah. so the way that you can get your free copy of the book if you would like a free copy of the book is this now the whole reason why I am reading the book on the podcast each week or each day actually um, is 
to promote the book itself, the actually the new books that will be coming out, and the book itself, as well as the podcast. So, the way that you can get your free copy of the book is if you share the podcast, you can share the entire podcast on uh, Facebook by, you know, just sharing the entire podcast, or you can share the specific episode that we're listening to now, or that you're listening to now, I'm recording it, (laughs) but you can share um, a specific episode that is one of the chapters, you know, one of these episodes, but it would probably be easiest if you shared the entire podcast, um, it's up to you, but share the podcast on Facebook and take a screenshot showing that you shared the podcast and email it to me and I will put this email address in the description and the show notes for this episode so don't worry about um, how you will remember it you know having to go back and listen but Take a screenshot showing that you shared either this episode or the entire podcast itself and send it to me at remnantwarrior84 at gmail.com. That's remnantwarrior84 at gmail.com. And again, like I said, I will put the email address in the show notes and that way you won't have to worry about you know running for a pen and paper or something like that but just share the the program so that we can get the word out and sell some of these books because as I said in the um, first episode I don't know if everyone listening today was listening then but all of the sales from all of these books are going to go to the missions department at the church Um, and the church of course is Kingdom Christian Assembly and we're actually we're uh, going to be planning a mission trip to the Middle East and I don't expect the sales from these books to pay for the mission trip completely, of course, but um, it will help. Anything will help. Every little bit will help. So please just share the uh, program, and everyone who wants a copy of the book, email me the screenshot showing that you shared it or if another way you can do this is if we are friends on Facebook if you're friends with me on Facebook you can just uh, tag me in the post that you share the uh, podcast in and 
you know, that'll be just as good as emailing it to me, but, um, the reason I need you to email it to me is so I know who to send it to, I know who to send the book to, in the email, I need for you to put, um, the name and address that you want it mailed to, because I'm going to have to have the book shipped to you, um, I don't have any, uh, copies of the hardback book yet, because, um, if it is on sale, then it just came on sale today, um, when I checked last night, it, uh, had not it gone through yet, it was still pending, um, they have to check it to make sure that everything meets, uh, their expectations before it'll go on sale, but it will be on sale, uh, today or tomorrow, um, and I will mail the book to you, or have it shipped to you, I won't mail it to you personally, I'll have to, um, order the book and have it, uh, shipped to you, but, you know, I, um, I'm, kind of taking a, I guess I'm kind of taking a risk here that, uh, the sharing of the podcast is going to pay off, because, because even though I'm the author of the book, I, I still have to pay for it whenever I, um, have it shipped to you, um, you know, I don't have to pay as much as if I, you know, were ordering, the book is a, you know, somebody else, but I do have to pay for the shipping, (laughs) so, and also, right now, the paperback, this is the last thing I'm going to say, I'm closing the program out, I promise, but the paperback version of Origins of Evil Book One Kabbalah is on sale right now on Amazon for $4.86, and it's $14.99 normally. And it's on sale for $4.86 right now on Amazon. So, if you don't have a copy of the paperback and you want one, then you can get it right now on Amazon for $4.86. Or, you could get a copy of the second edition uh, hardcover book by just sharing the podcast and emailing me a screenshot of your Facebook post. Alright guys, for Kingdom Productions and Next Chapter Radio Network, I am Pastor Jeremy Anderson, saying God bless you all, grace and peace.